to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're here to talk about Season 4, Episode 5, titled Quite a Ride. Uh, I think Francesca would agree. What did you think of this episode, Aaron? Uh, I thought it was real good. I, okay. uh, you know, uh, I thought I thought it was real good on the instant take, and uh, I had questions about, like, oh, I wonder why they dismiss this French guy versus the German guy, and on second watch and, and, and reading other people's opinions, I thought that what Vince was doing was real clever. Um, mm-hmm. I also had a couple, I also had some really smart feedback about my criticisms of the way they're dealing with uh, therapy on the show, from one mm-hmm. from a, a licensed ma- uh a family and marital therapist, uh, which we'll be hmm. talking about in the feedback, that's kind of like quelled some of those criticisms. So I thought it was great. And it's also a nice reminder that, yes, Jimmy McGill can, and Kim Wexler can carry this fucking series without needing <laughs> cousin shootouts and yeah, complicated, yeah. Uh, you know, Rube Goldberg devices from Mike. It's, you know, there was a little bit of that at the Super Lab, but that wasn't the thing that carried the episode. Mm-hmm. It's all on Jimmy and Kim's shoulders, and that's, it's nice that, yeah, like, because, you know, the last couple of weeks we've had people like, why are they even called Better Call Saul? It should be Better Called Mike or Better Called Nacho. And right. well, this is why it's called Better Call Saul. Yeah, because Jimmy's a character that we really love to watch, and and everything more or less revolves around him and the thing, the the things and people he's uh, involved in. What did you think? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, on second watch, all of the questions I really had kind of went away because the blanks were filled in. You know, um, it, it's it's a little confusing when you see this first guy who seems like oh a professional and he's got this track record, he knows what he's doing. He must be good for the job, and Gus dismisses him. You're like, right. oh, well, that's weird. Right. Uh, that second guy comes in, and it's like, oh, yeah, now now I see what Gus is after. He's after another Mike, right? A meticulous right. guy who knows the job and knows the dangers and is going to plan for it. So that part really uh, was good. And then I think one of the most interesting scenes in the episode uh, on second watch is the Howard and Jimmy scene at mm, the end in the bathroom. Mm, right. Uh, there's a lot more going on there than I saw in the first watch. And it's it's echoes of how Howard feels about Chuck's death and his role in that. Uh, it's echoes of Kim's words coming back uh, and the new decisions that he's trying to make and, you know, how Jimmy sees that and sort of is both simultaneously scared of what, uh, if this is what therapy does to Howard, what the hell would it do to me? Right. Uh and also, he 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 sees Howard and what a mess he's in, and Jimmy probably thinks, "Oh well, I just I don't need that in my life. Right. I'm just going to plow forward." So I, I don't know. It it becomes a lot more layered and interesting on second watch. I thought. Yeah. No. I I, I agree. Okay. Are we ready to get into the <laughs> recap? Uh, yes. Yes, we are. Hey, before we get to the episode, I want to talk about th- some events here at BaldMove.com. First up, uh, I, I had a, on a whim this winter th- uh, threw together a wiki uh, for BaldMove at wiki.baldmove.com. And recently, uh, forum member T.D. Shum and some others have taken a lead at like you know putting a skeleton on that and hanging some meat on that bones. Uh, uh, if you want to check it out, it's cool. It's got like a repository of like a podcast and like memorable moments from them and like uh, bald move terminology 
like dictionary of like all the if you don't know what the villa gang is and stuff you can you can like all these obscure references and whatnot you can and it's it's also something that anyone can edit you can create an account and you can start helping out on that project uh, i think it's going to be a really cool resource for us and the fans if you want to check it out wiki.baldmove.com and uh, thanks uh, for everybody's uh, put in work on that so far uh also uh we're doing game of thrones we're in the home stretch of season three or season three rewatch uh, if you want to check that out we last week checked out the little stranger which is a gothic horror film for bald on the bald movies feed uh this week we're going to be seeing the nun uh the kind of like soft sequel to the conjuring 2 should be scary should be a good time that's again on the bald movies feed uh we also are starting up our coverage of the deuce season two next week uh, that's a series on HBO by David Simon, creator of The Wire. Uh, it's the season one was amazing. We're gonna be starting full coverage under the Bald Move TV uh, podcast. So we're not creating a new feed; we're just keeping it at Bald Move TV. Uh, if you search for that on any place, the podcast star should come right up. Bald Move TV. Uh, we'll be talking about the, the Deuce. It's a fantastic series. Hope to see you over there. We start off with a flash forward to Saul Goodman frantically tearing his office apart, shredding documents, and packing his suitcases. Then he calls a guy about a vacuum cleaner and says he'll be at a location. Uh, I'm being a little cagey about the description here, but I don't know why, because we've got to talk about its ties to Breaking Bad, Yeah, obviously. Uh, this is the infamous cleaner who we know uh, Saul calls to get himself turned into Gene, sent to Omaha. Uh, this, is, this is the moment. This is one of the things that we didn't get to see in Breaking Bad, and I, I felt like... It it did add a little bit of color, like you can see sort of Saul freaking out, and Saul doesn't often <laughs> freak out, right? Right. Uh, so it adds a little bit of color there, and then I love, I just love Francesca in this scene. She's just like, I, I'm, she's kind of happy that this is all just crumbling, right? Like, and she's taking, she's done with this. She's taking Jimmy for all she can because this Absolutely. is the last, the last payday, right? Uh, maybe November twelfth, not not uh, withstanding. Um, no, it. It's great, and I mentioned that like they're use that like I thought that the film the, the the film looks saturated, and in reading, it turns out the Davila gang uh, Breaking Bad was all shot on traditional film, uh, and then in uh, the Better Call Saul era, they've made the leap to digital uh, cameras and digital technology, but they actually filmed this first scene in the exact same film stock that they filmed the rest of Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. which played like it looks just like it there's someone made a super cut of the granite state episode i saw where, that yeah and like the hair and makeup on mm-hmm. bob odenkirk and the continuity <laughs> he's in much better shape now oh it's funny because true. he's got like jowls and stuff yeah, in, the, yeah. the, in breaking bad and now he's in like really good shape. yeah like so. our show logo of, of uh kind of that era saw he is pretty jowly and, yeah uh he's and, like 20 pounds heavier yeah which Kind of make yeah they, they they maybe should have padded his belly out because yeah he's Bob Odenkirk's like in fight fighting trim uh-huh. but I, I like that uh, right. it's it's the the, the kind of attention to detail that we have come to expect from from the Villa Gang and sometimes I feel like we bitch and moan about some things here and there but only because I feel like Villigan uh, Vince and Peter have trained us to be that discerning. So on the few times where they might like take a shortcut on a technical legal matter or they might do something slightly out of character of a B tier character, uh, we give them shit for it because they do. They do sweat those details and we know they're aware of the details and they keep track of them. So mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, and that, that's one of the things I talked about in the the Insider podcast. I didn't get to listen to all of it this week. I got about 15 minutes from the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they talk about the process of, like, shooting on film and the new, like, scanning process to get that all converted over to something they can use mm-hmm. digitally with the footage that they shoot now. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, only really the production crew could give you insight into, and we can't, right. Right. which is why I think the Insider podcast is so valuable. Yeah, uh, especially if you're a filmmaker or someone who's aspiring to be one, I, I think it's awesome. A uh, couple things to talk about: uh, the crosscut shredder and the taking the the resulting shreds to <clears throat> a, a different different dumpsters five miles away. Those are all things that that Jimmy learned from the Sandpiper case. You want a good crosscut okay. shredder because certainly could be, yeah. Because like someone pointed out that 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 Chuck actually said that in the sandpaper. It's like, oh, it's a good thing it isn't crosscut. This would be a lot harder, right? Um, and he found those papers right outside the door, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I noticed in second watch is Jimmy's uh, hand gesture for the box cutter, mm-hmm. the the slice in the throat. Uh, kind of, yeah. I saw that and I was like, I went back and watched it. I'm like, well, he does more of a stabbing kind of motion, but okay. Mm. It's close enough. Yeah. Uh, then um, the other thing that I liked that I picked up off of Reddit is that Jimmy's using the box cutter to slice through Article 3 of the Constitution. <laughs> right, it's beautiful. Which, which is the one that establishes the entire judicial, judicial branch of the United States. So he's literally That's cutting awesome. at the heart of the American legal system. I love uh, it. You, could, you couldn't have a more perfect visual for for slipping Jimmy, right? The chimp right. with the machine gun. Right. It's awesome. Uh, so I want. there's a couple of questions we're supposed to have. Number mm-hmm. one, I did some due diligence, and I don't think we've seen this bowling bag bag before. I don't think before. so. No. It's uh, definitely not Jesse's bags of money. He right. had big black duffel bags. Yep. Uh, I don't think Walt ever had this. Can be, it could be maybe his share of the money laundering that he's done, but like I don't think it's significant, the actual shape of the bag. Yeah. We do uh, learn that he does have a shitload of money, though, right? Like right. Saul is, is well off. Yes, so yes. Any questions we had about that are gone now. Um, we also learn about this November 12th, 3 p.m. meeting, that or phone call that Francesca's got to be around for. Now, um, as best I can tell, looking at various timelines on the internet, the finale of Breaking Bad takes place sometime in September. Mm. So this November phone call is going to be several months after, uh, after the conclusion of Breaking Bad, after the shootout, after presumably Walt's dead. Yeah. Um, is there, so let's, let's, uh, th- th- there's a couple things. Number one, um, when I was reading all this speculation, I was reminded of the fact that, according to Vince Gilligan, creator of Breaking Bad, showrunner, executive producer, they had no idea what Walt was going to do with that machine gun mm, when right. they show him in the this, this, season five opener buying it and shoving it in his trunk. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Villa gang has any fucking clue of what's going to go down on November 12th, or are this just like... Oh boy, won't it be fun to fucking try to try to figure this out in the writing room next year? I think as it sits now, they almost certainly do because the the season has been written right, and I think it is going to probably come back this season. You think so? Yeah, I think when they wrote it, they they possibly didn't because that that's one of the techniques they talk about is writing themselves into a corner, right? Frequently and it, it boosts creativity, and... right? And always searching, like saying, okay, an idea, we've got an idea for this scene, yeah, uh, and it. It, it's just kind of our gut idea. 
what's the next idea? You know, right. what what do we feel is like the better idea here, right. maybe the perfect one? So I, I think like that's something they could have planted and then let boil for a little bit uh, and come back to, I, I assuming within the next five episodes, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm divided whether they would set up something like that and then answer it this season. I I mean, that's With what you Breaking want. Bad, a lot of the times they did those like very contained season type things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think back to the teddy bear in the pool. Sure, right. That was all of season 2, right? And then at the end we had the answer. Right. Um those kind of things they seem to self-contain in a season. And I know that, like, but, but the thing that, that gives me pause is that, like, AMC, I know they consider season, you know, five is one. Yeah. Eight, a 16-episode season. But I think it's clear that in the writing room, they considered those two separate eight-episode seasons. Uh, Better Call Saul are 10-episode seasons. So I'm thinking there is room for them to be like, hey, let's just set this up. It's middle of the season. It, if, if, it, if if this was a cold open at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. I would be almost 100% certain they would answer it within this season. But now it's coming out of the, like, the middle of nowhere at the crest of the wave. I, I don't know. It, it would be just like them to have that be some kind of like I could even see it be the stinger of the season, of uh, the series rather. Um, well, I'm thinking like next season we're probably going to get, you know, I, I assume we're going to get the better call Saul like the title of the show all signs uh, point to that and yes. there's going to be a lot of Saul next season I also think we've been talking about this this season there's probably going to be a lot of Gene next season right mm-hmm. this feels like since this November 3rd or November 12th date is set up after the finale of Breaking Bad that we're probably going to start getting some some timeline beyond Breaking Bad leading up to Gene I would yeah. think you know no I I, I think it does feel like we are heading towards a time jump. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Super Lab's going to take months to build, the fact that Jimmy's going <laughs> to take... In fact, years. I uh, I yeah. was looking at the math. We're in, like, 2003 right now. Yeah. Breaking Bad doesn't take place till 2008, and we know the Super Lab still isn't set up. I don't know how long it's going to take to actually physically build, but it won't be set up for, like, five years. Yeah, but that's also about how long it would take to get through a doctorate, wouldn't it? The doctorate chemistry program, post-doctorate chemistry program? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying it's going like to take a, a long-ass time to build this super lab. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I was thinking that there's, there's it, it seems like they're setting up a lot of things that might be time jumpy. And I'm expecting a pe- pretty big time jump either at the end of the season or the beginning next one so we can get into that meaty Better Call Saul. Because I, I do feel yeah. like what I could said on Instant Take... Uh, Vince and Peter are not going to be able to resist the original premise of the show, which is just freewheeling gut, uh, Saul at his peak. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's cool. Uh, when they were talking about it on the Insider podcast, or no, it was an interview. I think it was an interview with Bob Odenkirk that I was reading uh, where he was talking about that idea of, like, the show is better called Saul. Everybody keeps asking, like, give give us some Saul. Where is Saul? That kind of thing. And he said, this is kind of the moment to say, you wanted some Saul, here's some Saul. What, what, remind me of what Jimmy said, or what Bob Odenkirk said about speculation. I know this is kind of spoilery, but the, what, what, what did he say about the speculation for, or, or his per- personal speculation of when the gene time? Wasn't it like only two months after the climax of Breaking Bad? Mm, I can't remember exactly. Because I, I just made this thought right here on the air, uh... What if we're going to see the November twelfth phone call? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, because like, like, because that's make that kind of like tracks with what he had said previously about that. Now, 
Uh, the other thing is who who is the card that he gives to Francesca? There's two leading theories. I mean, one theory is Howard. One theory is Kim, right? Yeah. Um, but, but only because those are like the only two lawyers we know at the moment who are prominent figures in right. Better Call Saul. But maybe we'll get some more. And he refers the to end. them as M, as the, the apostrophized version of them, which I mm. think is... is Non-specific? Yes, intentionally it, it so. definitely is intentionally non-specific. But I like that... Uh, it, it, like either one of those would be would be fitting, mm-hmm. especially you know with Kim now pivoting towards. Uh, it, actually, I think it's more at this point Kim because it seems like she's pivoting towards a little bit of uh, criminal attorney, mm, whereas yeah. Howard's always struck me as a corporate lawyer. Yeah, probably so. You know, dabbles in probate for his friends and whatnot, but. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a lot to talk about in the cold open. Jesus, I got one more. Oh wow, this okay. box, this box yeah, that he pulls out of the wall. Uh, I went back and I took a look at the very first episode, mm-hmm. very first scene of Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. where Gene is is sitting alone and he pulls out his uh, Better Call Saul tape of the commercial that he right. made, and it looks like it could be the same box and. Knowing that he grabs that box and immediately goes to the disappearer, mm-hmm. and that's the one, it feels like that's the one touchstone we have between Gene and Saul right, right now. Um, and I think that box is going to prove to be the box that he opens and takes the tape out of and has his passport and stuff like that in it. Okay. All right. It, it's the same shape. It doesn't have like the bands on it that it that it does in this scene, but yeah. I mean, why would he need those if it's sitting in a closet? Right. Okay. So uh, we move on to the present more back to the present, where Jimmy waits patiently at the cell phone store for a customer. One comes in, and Jimmy's able to sell him a stack of phones with a song and dance routine about privacy. I, I love the callback to Jimmy's voodoo. Yeah, his magic fingers. He puts the, <laughs> he puts the spell. It's like he, he's done it to like phones before. I think this is the uh, first time he's actually tried it on a living target. It uh, worked. And it worked. It works. works 70% of the time. works all the time. Uh, he, and he just like... That's the funny thing about Jimmy, uh, as I mentioned in Instant Talk podcast, is that Jesus, if he would just, if he would just drop the illegal parts of a scam, he would be very successful. You know? Yeah, there. I don't think there was anything illegal about what he did here. I mean, he upsold this guy on a stack of phones. I would, I would hate to to, to rule that out because, like, you know, I think there's a bit of fraud saying that you know having a having a fake conversation and drumming out artificial scarcity and blah blah blah. But but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely sleazy. But there's all kinds of sleazy salespeople and conmans that rise very high in society. Sometimes even to the presidency of the United fucking States of America. <laughs> so like, you can get away with it and and can do quite well for yourself. Just Jimmy always takes it to the next fucking level. Uh, Jimmy and, and Jimmy and Kim, twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I um, I I thought. Th- I really like the independent contractor guy who walks in because his face is just funny. Did you notice, like the guy, like right. the like? I, I'm not saying he looks funny. I'm just saying I think this. It, like I didn't listen to the Insider podcast, but I'm sure this guy is probably somewhat, like one of um, Odin Kirk's com- comedian friends. Uh, I don't unless they talk about it in the last fifteen. I don't. Okay, know. because he kind of reminds like he's doing a lot, but not doing anything. You know, just yeah, with yeah. the way he's holding his face and the way he's working his eyebrows. His reactions it, to what Jimmy's doing. Yeah, yeah, eating up the whole story. Like, like, and, and, and Jimmy's kind of like doing this cold reading thing where, like, well, who's listening? And it's like, 
Jimmy is not giving him anything, but as soon as the guy like reveals his deep dark fears, he's like, "Oh yes, it's the IRS." And yeah, it's it's just it's really good. It's really good. And he he commits to it by cracking a phone in half. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jimmy Jimmy's sales pitches are always very good. He's a good con man. Yes, uh, that's the one thing about Jimmy that never changes is his ability to convince people from the time he's Jimmy to the time he saw. Probably on to Gene. We'll see. But and he's yeah, like he's great. like a you know like a um, he, he, he's like a razor salesman you know where he's like got this thing where he's he's not just selling you a product he's selling you a habit. You know? Right, right. Like, like, use once per. Right. Once per what? That's up to you. Right. How well, safe do you want to be? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you know some uh, some pissant private co- or independent contractors that barely skirt the tax law might be able to use one for as much as a week but mm-hmm. you know people are really sticking it to uncle sam maybe want to use it like it's it's funny because it's like it may it, it uses the per guy's insecurity about himself and and, and his desire to be seen as a big swinging dick mm-hmm. <laughs> against him yeah so yeah it's great all right we move on to a frenchman landing at the denver international airport and Mike guides him to the middle of nowhere, then meets him and has him put a hood on during the long journey to Gus's laundry operation. Once they arrive, he's asked if he can secretly dig down underneath the laundry. The man takes a few quick measurements and says, yeah, I can do it in six months, but it's going to be expensive. And the conversation ends when Gus calls Mike and tells him that this isn't the guy for the job. So Mike drops him back at his car with a plane ticket back to France. Um, or I, su- I assume he lives in France. He's Edward's from France. I, I, I thought his accent sounded more like Spanish. Uh, I think it's French. Like Spain, Spanish. But... Maybe maybe he lives in Spain, but he's French. Yeah. I, would, I, I don't know. I know I do, all I know is that like all the German speakers were going crazy about the yeah. German guys like 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 accent. <laughs> I mean, he's German. <laughs> what do you want? Right, right, right. Like, right. They, but they flew this actor in from Germany. Did so they really? Of course, he's, he's going to have a good German accent. Is he German? Okay. Because yeah. like I think a lot of people you know expect a German to have more of like. What is with ah, the concrete? A, and, yeah. You know, it's the... It's the bad American version of yeah, the German yeah. accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, because the thing that turned me off about these scenes, or the thing I didn't get is like, I thought this was like an old school, new school kind of thing, yeah, which yeah. I think is bullshit. Uh-huh. Like, you know, this... this, this like uh, That's also in there, right? Like, I think it's almost a mistake in my opinion to make that old school versus new school. Cause that's right. not the issue. Right. That's not why Gus turns this guy down. It's his attention to detail. But there's also another thing that uh, someone pointed out, uh, cause I, we got a, a lot of feedback on the particular, and it was all the same stuff. But, um, the one thing we haven't covered so far is this guy. Cause I, I said, well, this guy's done this job in El Paso. That seems like something that you could verify and either he's done or he's not, but that's also a problem. And loose this guy lips sink ships. Volunteers that he's done cartel work and drilled under this tunnel of El Paso. And yeah, you know, and, and, and it, it also, uh, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of things. I think it's the old school versus new school, which is the surface thing. It's also the attention to detail and also the idea that maybe Mike and Gus have already vetted this enough to know that blasting will be required. So a mm. guy that's like, oh, yo, modern techniques, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's also the his lack of discretion, yeah. I think. Is, I think that's an important factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did the research. Denver, which is where he, he starts to ABQ, is about six and a half to seven and a half hours, depending on the route. That's a long time to ride. Without a bathroom break and with a hood on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the back of a van. Yeah. Uh, I, I do feel like... 
Mike makes a huge mistake with the German guy, though, because the German guy says, oh, judging by the sound of it, we're in a city. And I'm like, well, fuck, Mike. Just you should have put earmuffs on this guy, too. Mm. Why? Why is Mike? I, I feel like Mike fucked up there. Well, the next though, when they build the second super lab, he'll definitely because, you know, he would <laughs> he, he, he'd probably annoyed at that. And he'll. Yeah. Or maybe as part of the test. You know, you know how many fucking cities yeah. there are a six hour drive from Denver? A lot. Probably not as many as on either coast. But yeah, but but a lot, a lot. Uh, the the other thing that I noticed here is just how, and I know he always looks like this. I know, but Jonathan Banks looks like he is dead tired in those scenes in the van. He's yeah. he's just like lids half closed, barely blinking. I know that's just his face, but he looks more tired than he's ever been. I think I think uh, Vince actually puts him in that van for six hours <laughs> to might. get the yeah to get to actually. Get that world I bet that's wariness. not far from the truth. Yeah, I bet they shoot those scenes for quite a while, especially when they're shooting multiple. Plus, scenes I, in a van. I think I think Jonathan Banks is enough of a pro, and has done just a lifetime of bit roles and bullshit and generic cops and generic hard asses that. You know, when he's in, he's given late in life this opportunity, I'd see, I feel like he'd be the kind of guy that like, uh, you know what? I might stay up till three o'clock in the morning tonight yeah. because I just want to look authentically tired tomorrow. Yeah. He or tired. he also might be like, yeah, whatever, Aaron. It's called acting. You yeah. know, <laughs> I'm an actor. Fuck off. So. All right. So we go to Kim, who's defending a kid uh, who's a vandal uh, pretty clearly. At least. Perhaps a jewelry thief as well. Perhaps. Uh, so she plays hardball when negotiating with this prosecutor, Bill, who we've seen many times, sure. Jimmy's nemesis. Uh, and he manages... Uh, Patty she, and a prior. Who? It's Patty and a prior. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, she manages to get the kid four months of probation rather than the 18 months of jail time they started at. But the kid is not at all grateful. So Kim sets him straight by telling him he's going to go to... I think, his father? Grandfather? I, I can't remember. Yeah. Grandfather. Uh and get a job, and he's going to keep his nose clean, or he's certainly going to the grown-up jail next time, and she's not going to save him. Yeah, and I'm... they The way they left that, because they they gave this kid a beat where he actually considers what she's saying. Yeah. And comes out of his, like, self-absorbed, you know, young, cocky, like, I, I beat the rap kind of... Like, I feel like they're, they did something subtle, because otherwise, if they'd cut it... Like, literally a second sooner, it would have, like, it just seems like, you know, Kim's pissing up a rope here. Yeah, it changes she's, the tone entirely. She's throwing her legal pearls before swine, but giving that little beat where, just for her sheer force of will and professionalism, she's like, don't don't fuck this up again, and if you do, don't fucking call me. Uh, it, yeah. so, it sobered the kid up a little bit. And I think the, the kid relenting here and realizing that she's right gives her... The hope that she needs right. to sabotage her own career later on in the episode. Right. Right. She sees that, oh, I can make a difference here with this kid. Right. Maybe I can make a difference with this woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and she, you know, barrels forward right. because of it. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty good scene. Uh, and I just love the badgering of Bill. Like, Bill is such a just wet, limp noodle. Plus, they kind of, it also shows the other side of, um, 
the the law you know we, we talk about how shady jimmy is and some stuff he does but this like you know what kim is accused of this uh prosecutor is pretty fucking shady too like being aware of policeman misconduct and uh chains of evidence being fruit of the poisonous tree and mm-hmm. concealing that not just from the defense but from the judge like yeah hell yeah judge would would chew your ass out on the record for that so mm-hmm. uh you know uh there there is a lot of and i th- I thought breaking bad did a good job of showing that like you know hank is broadly the hero but sometimes he does despicable shit and he does trample on people's rights and he doesn't uh is, isn't all what you'd want out of a law enforcement officer and there's a little bit of that here too yeah so we go back to jimmy uh he's at home with kim and he wants to watch a movie with her but she's got work to do He's not really into watching the movie alone, so he tells Kim he's got something to do at work, and then he goes to CC Mobile and buys a whole bunch of phones. And we cut to commercial here. It's a very long scene, so I'm going to break it right there. Uh, There's this really, really nice shot, in my opinion, a a beautiful shot over the top of the TV, just showing, like, Jimmy's face. Yeah. And it's a a very wide shot. It's a vast expanse, and it's showing, in my mind at least, that there's a huge distance between Kim and Jimmy. Yeah. Even though they're in the same room, you can feel that emotional, emotional isolation within the shot. Yeah. And as they get isolated that way, Jimmy feels it's, it's funny because they, they're, they were kind of, 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 uh, they were a team. Yeah. When they're facing off against Chuck and they were at their most, I think emotionally honest. And they had kind of like, you know, reached a, a level of bedrock and like, okay, we're not going to do this stupid shit anymore. Well, now as they get distant again, it's a compounding thing. The lies mm-hmm. and the not truthful answers on both of their sides. I mean, Jimmy's yeah. obviously the worst of the two. <laughs> right. But, you know, I don't think, uh, why is Kim hiding the fact that she is doing this uh, public defender work from, from Jimmy? Like, that's something they she could be like, you know what? I've decided, like, I remember when you were the public defender and you did, even though... Bah, you, you did a lot of good like there, there's that that's a fucking conversation a couple would have something that like you and then maybe jimmy's like well that's crazy you got to concentrate on mesa whatever you know yeah. but you got to have the conversation you can't have all this 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 that's what that's what causes the distance i guess and it's it's and, a and shame I, to see them go down there yeah it absolutely is and i think also that kim is sort of doing it out of some kind of sense of of preservation of jimmy like she doesn't want to lay that shit on jimmy right now you know like she tells howard don't lay Mm. your problems on a man whose brother just got burnt up yeah i never Uh, considered she might be holding back simply because she doesn't think jimmy can handle it at the moment right but i think that's still a oh oh, yeah it's still problematic yeah yeah um so i mentioned an instant talk that like that that we had the it's all good uh, we just missed the man, and we have uh, the birth of Saul Goodman. Uh, Tyler G. set me straight on that, which I figured people would. It says, on Instant Talk, Aaron mentioned Jimmy telling Kim it's all good, and how it's almost the first instance of Saul Goodman on the show. Jim pointed out in season one, there's a flashback where Jimmy said it with his now-deceased friend. It was also used another time as well when Jimmy was making a TV commercial with young J.J. Abrams lookalike. He called himself Saul Goodman in the ad. This is the commercial huh, with all the star okay. wipes. Um, which renewed my, yeah. like, shit, I don't, I didn't remember that. I don't remember that too, but I remember the discussion of like, how the fuck is Jimmy, Jimmy's na- face is plastered several times all over Albuquerque. Then he does a commercial with his face plastered over a Saul Goodman. Then he's going to practice law under that name. Like, I just, I know my local commercials 
And mm-hmm. I'm saying if... <laughs> You're saying if the Shane Company guy suddenly was like... Well, he's like, not even local. It's blew my fucking mind when <laughs> yeah, we got with the... that's fair. Um, but if he suddenly became like the... the if he was selling Michelin Dodge, If he was selling Dodges down at the local Jeep dealer. Right. And then after that, he was saying that he was going to roto-root my toilet in 24 hours or less. I would think I, he's a con man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would call the district attorney and the Better Business Bureau yeah. and say, investigate this man. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm curious to see how. I mean, there is a potential for it to be very unsatisfying to reveal that he's transformed into Saul Goodman because they have laid so much tracks down that, like, I think. But I, I, I yeah, obviously Vince and Peter know that, so uh, maybe that's their yeah. way of writing themselves in a the corner. It's like, well, I mean, someone in the writing room had to say, like, really, he's just going to have his face on the air as Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Did, did that commercial get aired? I, I didn't even remember the commercial, so I don't remember. Yeah, because that's aired. how we got all the. That's how. That's how he. He. That's ah, how we right. got all the other commercials. The clients. Yeah. Right. Right. To, to fill the spots he bought. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jimmy tries to sell phones to some kids who call him an arc, and he changes into a tracksuit and a gold chain, and he heads to the doghouse where he has much better luck selling the phones to the. I'm going to call them quote unquote criminals of ABQ. Mm-hmm. Did you know? Huh. That having a prosthetic arm Makes is a, a surefire indicator. Pro- I mean, the it fugitive, uh, this episode better call Saul, 100% fugitive representation. That's true. If I, you, I, if, I've never seen a movie where it's not true. If you were maimed fighting for this country, criminal. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> you have diabetes and you had to have a what, lower limb removed, criminal. All right, get our tongues out of our cheeks here uh unfortunately at the end of the night the kids who call the monarch before come back beat his ass and take his cash you know i thought there's a really nice fake out like like uh, uh they, they took a page out of the horror films and they did a fake out where when the one percenter bikers uh pulled up and dave porter drops the you know they, they drop the fun uh, mm-hmm. and what was that the name of it? like nightlife or uh, street life street yeah. life uh, song and then Dave Porter does the ominous oh shit something bad's going to happen and mm-hmm. then it works out and then he gets beat down by the teenage punks right like it's it's the version of the like oh my god it's scary out here at Crystal Lake oh my god what's happening oh it's just a cat it's a cat and then Jason comes by and, you and stabs you yeah uh, bra- bravo Vince uh, nice 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 horror fake out yeah it's good uh I like this. I just like the vibe of this oh, yeah. scene when he's selling all these phones. Uh, it has a very, it should be obvious, Tarantino-esque quality to it. There are right. a lot of trunk shots right? Uh, where he's he's opening the trunk and showing people the phones. There's Street Life song, which is from Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Disappearer, who he calls in the beginning, has a prominent role in yes, Jackie he does. Brown. Yes, it's he does. A lot of connections in this episode to uh, Tarantino, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And it's just a fun like these the these these montages are uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I do wonder what why he tries to sell these phones to the bikers because everybody else gets the fuck out of Dodge when they pull up. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a very risky thing to do. Does he view this as sort of a challenge to himself? Does he does he still think he's that guy that he laments to Kim about not being anymore? Um, and maybe he's trying to regain that. Yeah, maybe that's the test, and he thought that was the test, and he, he passed it, and then he got he got beat down by the teenage punks. Yeah, now, which was the real test that he failed. Right, right, because he just didn't take him serious enough. Like he should have just, uh, as they were threatening him, he should. I don't know what he does is like punch punch the biggest one. 
Yeah. Just I drop him. Just drop him. Be like, now what? You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. It, it's like, it, 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 it was, it was cool. It, it, it mm-hmm. and I also think that something very bad is going to happen to these teenagers. Like, there's no fucking way okay. Slippin' Jimmy lets these guys rip him off and, and, <laughs> and get scot-free. I mean, I don't, and I don't know whether, like, something bad is going to be, like, some horseshit legal trouble he lands them into, or, like, the one getting sick, his biker friends after them. Right. Yeah, I mean, if they're still hanging out the wash tub, or whatever the, the laundromat is, mm-hmm. then he could certainly know where they are, come back for him. Speaking of the laundromat, um... So this this montage takes place almost entirely. Actually, I think entirely at the places where Jesse goes to sell meth in one of right. the first montages yeah, yeah, yeah. they did in Breaking right. Bad. When he's uh, going street level with it. Yeah, yeah, and he goes to the laundromat. He goes over to the doghouse. Uh, the other thing that I I found interesting that was pointed out on Reddit is that after he does all that and goes and sells meth, he brings Walter a burner phone mm. and says, "Here, you should use this." Oh it, shit! I, I don't think there's any like direct connection to Jimmy, but it is funny. But it is, yeah, an interesting coincidence because I do think that like I don't have any uh, real experience with the underworld, um, other uh, you know, other than buying some her- herb here and there, some mm-hmm. herb here and there. But yeah, oregano. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the street market of that cr- crazy. You should. You, you should just can't get good oregano. Buy by the pound at Sam's Club. Yeah. Um, I. But I have seen like um, like like other kind of kind of seedy things like flea markets. Like the first guy that b- brings the nineteen dollar Chinese remote control helicopters, and then like you know he's just selling them like hotcakes because people have never seen him before, and he's flying them and showing people how to work. Yeah. And then three weeks later, five of the guys have got the heli. I, I feel like that the the enterprising low lifes. Mm-hmm. at the doghouse sees Jimmy making mad bank selling these track phones, and they're like. Light yeah. bulb could even be those kids uh, kicked his ass. Yeah, like look how much fucking money he made. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Thanks for the lesson, old man. Mm-hmm. All right, so we move on to Jimmy getting home in the middle of the night, and Kim finds him nursing his wounds. He tells her he got mugged, but he's not completely honest with why he was out so late. Finally, after explaining that those kids wouldn't have messed with him years ago uh, because he was one of them, he tells her that he's going to see the shrink the next day, and. The following day, he goes and removes the signage from the front of the cell phone store. Wrong lesson, Jimmy. That's a hell. That, yeah. that is a good legal scam you're running on people. <laughs> uh, it's it's the it's the equivalent of selling like doomsday prepper shit. Like uh-huh. you're not you're 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 giving a person a service they want, whether they need it or not. It's say that's up to them for the that's it's up to them to, to to evaluate their risk in their life. But yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him do that. Yeah, I mean, aside from, you know, the fact that he could have a legitimate business opportunity here, mm-hmm. uh, I think he, he he's questioning, like, who he is now, right? And I, I think, like, this waffling back and forth between going to see the therapist, being a lawyer, being right. a con man, selling these phones, getting a job at the copier shop, telling them they're schmucks, all of those things are him essentially having a midlife crisis brought yeah, on by yeah. Chuck's death. And, yeah. uh, and I think it's not even just him having the midlife crisis crisis in this episode it's also kim she's wondering what the hell am i going to do with my career right but but importantly i think that's the thing that jimmy is wrestling with which is why he seems so schizophrenic here and we're going why is he doing these things because he doesn't even know you know in this scene he questions like 
what am I doing? Yeah. Well, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And then, you know, it's it's him, like, at the end with the probation officer saying, like, hey, I want to be a lawyer. Everything's going to be bigger yeah. and better, and I'm going to win more cases. I'm going to do a, like... It's the war between the man he w- thinks he should be and the man that he really wants to be. Or... Yeah. The 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 correct path that's that's difficult and hard versus the easy path that is is you know easy and yeah. Jimmy does seem like a lot of Chuck's criticisms about him being lazy and skating by and his charm. I think those are accurate insights into him. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that that final decision he makes at the end of this episode is tied up in proving Chuck wrong. Yeah, yeah, because the ghost of Chuck is 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 still here. Uh, if you're not familiar with who Matthew Brady is, he's apparently one of the first photographers in America, Civil War photographer. Mm-hmm. He's doing daguerreotype stuff out on the battlefields. Uh, they make a mention of him. Right. Um, I also like this, uh, the scene. I, the, the, you know, they did a lot of uh, thematic film film filmmaking stuff here. I, I like the... Uh, Kim and Jimmy having this conversation about him slipping and his past and all that while they're in front of a mirror, suggesting the duality mm-hmm. that they're not like they're essentially living two lives of, uh, apart from the ones that they're living in the face of it. Yeah. And they're, they're being two faced and you can literally see both sides of their faces, the one face in the camera, and the one face in the mirror. Um, yeah, typically they do that with shadow, but I think it's interesting to do that with a mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's pretty cool. I also, what's your read on Kim? Like, I feel like Kim might be a little bit aware that Jimmy's story doesn't hold up, and I don't yeah. think she thinks that he's cheating on her. So I think there is a little bit of what what are you doing out there? What were you doing out there? I'm not going to push you because your brother's dead and like this also, you got just shit kicked out of you, but... Mm-hmm. And also, I'm doing something that I'm not telling you about oh, and I feel a little thing. guilty. Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah, there's... it. I mean, how could she not? How could she not see it, right? You go out, you're working at a fucking cell phone store. Uh-huh. Really, there's something you forgot that's so important you got to be out till 1.30 at night for a cell phone store. Yeah. You're just... You're just the manager of one location. Right. So right. I, I don't know. She's got to know something's up. The other thing is maybe she feels bad that she rejected him because it does seem like if Kim just spent all of her time with Jimmy, <laughs> he wouldn't be a bad person. But that's the definition of a codependent relationship. Right. She's so, going to make him be good right, with yeah, her presence. I'm going to be your fucking hall monitor. <laughs> right. It's no good. All right. Kim is trying to get one of her clients to the courthouse. This the girl named Denise. But she's afraid of going to jail. Uh, Kim's able to talk her into going and tells her to change her clothes. And while she's changing, Kim gets a call from Paige at Mesa Verde saying there's a major error in the paperwork that she submitted and they urgently need her help to fix the problem. Kim says now is not a good time and abruptly hangs up on Paige and takes Denise to court. And then later, Kim shows up at Mesa Verde where Paige dresses her down for not being there when they needed her. And Kim promises it will never happen again. Yeah, I wonder why Kim, I, maybe it's because she already pulled some strings to get the, the court date delayed, but it's like, it seems like the way, thing to do would be, uh, I have another, I have another case or I have this or that, or I don't know. It seems like the court seemed to be pretty deferential about switching a schedule around as long as you just don't show up, you know, as long as you just don't not show up, it, it's, they're, they're a little <laughs> right. bit more lenient about that, but I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, uh, I really think there's an element of self-sabotage here. In both of them, yeah. Yeah, I think even Kim is trying to take... 
I, I mean, it's the hard way out. The easy way out is just to pass this client off to somebody else if you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. But she probably views it as the easy way is to just let this slip further and further behind and eventually get fired. Because hmm. I, I don't think she intends when she says, I'll, I will never let this happen again. I don't believe her. She doesn't believe her. Right. Nobody believes her in this scene. That's not similar, even herself. It's similar to what we talked about with Jimmy a couple weeks ago, where he's the kind of guy, you know, who would never break up with Kim. He would just be a bigger and bigger right. asshole until she breaks up with him. And he's like, yeah, I knew I would never be good enough for you. It's like... That's the vibe I get from and that's everything another, That's happening. another similarity to her and Jimmy, the fact that, like, instead of going to Paige and uh, shit Kevin... And saying, you know what, I oversold myself and I'm not on board with all this expansion and all that. She'd rather just. But I, man, I thought I thought she was fundamentally different than Jimmy. I I and, did, too. But that, that maybe, behavior is maybe that'll be the ultimate zig. Like is Kim is the one who, yeah, she'll hit rock bottom, but then do better. Whereas Jimmy hits rock bottom and then gets modern techniques involved <laughs> and starts <laughs> drilling right through the bedrock. Yeah. All right, we go to Mike taking another guy to the laundry to see if he can do the job. This guy is much more old school, much more German, and much more thorough. Uh, thanks to this, he gets the job, and Gus introduces himself. Yeah, apparently they hired uh, a structural engineer to give them, like, you know, some so to, to crib some, some notes together, like what would look authentic, kind of the same way that our friend Dr. Barry Goodman was called in to help the vet look good with the sutures and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they came like the things that you're supposed to know is he's got like this rot- rotring mechanical pencil, which is like this renowned $30 lead <laughs> right. pencil that engineers use. And he's using this fancy German concrete tester that can non-destructively test for concrete, the hardness of concrete. Yeah. And he's drawn a diagram of this washing machine about how to make that an entrance. By the way, why are so why, why is Gus and Mike very uh, insistent on the entryway having to be underneath that. I mean, I know that that's where the Super Labs entrance actually is, but right. it seems like a very artificial constraint to put on a project. Like this yeah, is I don't know. this this fucking industrial washer right here must be the entrance. Like, I couldn't tell you. Even if there's 50 feet of adamantium deposit <laughs> underneath there, really, you couldn't move it 15 feet to the side. Like, right? I don't know. I guess you know everyone. Every every job's got its constraints, but mm-hmm. um, there, there's a lot of good stuff in the scene. For, first of all, I want to talk about the the shameful shit happening in this van, <laughs> where Mike Ermintrout, uh-huh. Mike Ermintrout, tells this guy that he needs to speak English instead of German. Come on, Mike! <laughs> it's a it's a chance to practice your native language. Yeah, use it. Take this opportunity. Yeah, shameful shit. Uh, also, as I, a as a third generation German immigrant, I gotta say, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Nein, nein. I just I just used it all up right there. There you go. Also, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I think he fucked up by not putting earmuffs on this guy, and I think he does notice it, like you said, because because there's kind of a look on his face where he's like, yeah, yeah, his ass has got a new wrinkle. Yep. Uh, and then I found out that this this uh, this guy named Rainer Rainer something Holt, mm-hmm. Holt maybe mm-hmm. uh this german actor that they brought in wolfgang was in an episode of homeland the tv show called better call saul no fucking way yeah, I, i'm dead serious what yeah. season was that season five. Oh, okay because I, I i noped out of homeland in the beginning of season four i think which i i don't think that's a coincidence right it's probably something that 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 
It's just one of those things where I bet that um, his casting agent played it up, uh, amused yeah. the actor, and if if that filtered through to the casting people in the better, like it, I think the Villa Gang and Total like shit like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, I I thought it was a crazy coincidence and fun. Yeah, uh, and I think that this guy when he's talking to Mike and is looking at it and saying, "Oh, it's going to be dangerous and stuff," I think he says in German. Like essentially, this is a shit show. Yeah, like it's gonna I, be I, a shit show because it says Shiza. He says yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, Masana Shiza or something yeah, like that. Lots of this, a whole lot of shit or something. <laughs> right, it's called like mass mass shit. When mm-hmm. I try to do a translation, uh, but I think he says it's a shit show, and then he tells Mike, "Oh, it's gonna be difficult, very difficult." Right, and that, this thing about <laughs> German words is like this: that fancy German tool is called like a. Rock, 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 spring hammer. It's basically like a spring-loaded rock hammer. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like very literal. Very. Yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, the Germans literal. have a perfect word for everything." Well, it's really fucking easy when you just shove shit together without hyphens. Yeah, it's the perfect word. <laughs> right. It's twelve words put the unrelated words put together. It's like I would call that a sentence, but sure, it's a word. Uh, I I just really like this scene. I enjoy watching the guy work, uh-huh. uh, seeing what it's going to take to actually build this lab, and knowing that it's a very complicated procedure. I'm wondering if we'll see any of that happen mm-hmm. in future episodes, or if this is going to be like just you know kind of a thing that they say, "All right, we told you how difficult it is. Now just imagine the rest of it." Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, anything else on that, or should we move to? Uh, I think the we can move on. All right, Jimmy goes to the courthouse where he sees Howard, who's looking extremely distraught, and he's battling insomnia. Jimmy suggests that he see a shrink, but Howard says he's already seeing a shrink, which uh, sets Jimmy against the idea of doing the same, and he tears up the number that Kim gave him and flushes it down the shitter. Literally. No, I, 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 on the instant talk, I mentioned that, like, Jimmy reacted to Howard like, you know, a, a, a cancer patient talking to another, and this guy's lost his hair and is throwing up, and it's like... Oh, God, if that's chemo, then I'd rather die of cancer. I think that's kind of Jimmy's thing. It's like if if this is what Howard looks like with a really good therapist, then but that's how recovery works. Like, mm-hmm. you know, setting a bone fucking hurts. Having surgery fucking hurts. Going through chemo and radiation sucks ass. I've seen many people go through it. Uh, but the alternative is to not ever get better. So, yeah, uh, yeah at least the one is it's 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 hurt and pain with trying to accomplish something good but that you know there again this is very much a part of jimmy's character personality that Mm -hmm. he does not want to do a lot of hard work um even his legal career he didn't go he he went to some shady mail order school and right uh yeah didn't he have to take the bar like three four times or something like that i'm not think so but but like even even when he applies himself and busts his ass and does something, there's always corners cut. Like, he never actually just sits and does something well and correctly. And, uh, you know, I, I can see why therapy would hold little appeal for him. Yeah, and I think he's also, he sees Howard and he's sort of afraid of the idea of therapy. Because, not just, not just because, hey, this is what therapy looks like, but... Mm-hmm. That's what therapy looks like for a man who was a business partner of that person and had, you know, probably not as deep or as long of a relationship as he and Chuck did. So if that's what Howard looks like going through it, how is Jimmy going to look like? Yeah. That, that's going to be fucking devastating. Yeah. He's going to be a wreck. And he's like, you know, in, in, in Jimmy's mind, he's like a golden boy who was born in a kind of legal uh, royalty. But it's it's interesting because if 
I, the way Howard has talked about himself and how he has run and how he envisioned, you know, his legal career going and his dad kind of bullied him into this. Like, I feel like they'd have a lot more in common than they than they than they think, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of that's is like two sides of the same coin. I yeah. also really like the detail of uh, Howard not wearing Hamlin to go blue. He's in all black because he's still huh. mourning. And I, I also wonder how much. Uh, how like like oh I think we might have talked about this last season like how much Chuck might have been like the feather in for Dumbo, in that like even though he was not an active member of the, the of the legal practice that name you know on the door uh kind of gave Howard legitimacy or made Howard feel like his his firm could do anything yeah it gave uh, him confidence gave him that confidence and now that how that 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 uh, Chuck is dead Howard doesn't have the uh, he, he doesn't. He doesn't have the feather anymore. Yeah, could be. So, and Certainly no one taught could. him that uh, the feather is just a just a trick. So, <laughs> no, and I I really like. I I talked about this earlier, but I, I want to stress it here in the scene. Uh, this moment where Jimmy says, "What's eating at you, Howard?" Mm-hmm. And Howard turns around like, "You know exactly what is eating right. at me." We talked about this, but. He wants to say all that, but he stops because I think Kim's words yeah. are ringing in his head. You yeah. know, her saying, don't fucking lay this on the guy right. whose brother just burned up. Right. Like, that's that's where you fucked up. And he he's learning from that mistake, right? And he's not making it again. And I think right. that shows that combined with the way that he is approaching the, the grieving process shows a maturity from Hamlin that doesn't exist in Jimmy. Yeah. And I, I guarantee Howard took that conversation with Kim into his, the, the therapist office and they broke it down and yeah. talked about the things he could learn from it. And, you know, separating like, cause that's one of the core things is um, having appropriate boundaries to like accept criticism in, but like maybe leave the negative emotions at the door. Like, yeah, Kim is like really angry and trying to hurt Howard, but Within that that sabo, the round itself contained useful useful information that he could integrate into his his uh, feedback system. So, hmm. yeah, you know, you're not. Uh, there's another kind of therapeutic practice, like the whole idea that there's trauma and there's a center of the trauma. Like, and anyone that's out, every ring you step away from that. Like, so like Jimmy is at the center of the trauma, right? And then Kim is like at the next level out because she's his closest family. And then Howard is on this outside of that. And then you've got everybody like, like, it's not cool to bitch inwards towards the circle. Like <laughs> okay, the people yeah. out, the key, every concentric ring should understand that like, this isn't about me. Even if it really like I, Howard is my, or your Chuck was my best friend. Well, he wasn't your fucking brother that yeah. you had a troubled relationship with Mm -hmm. so like get get in line and then like you know uh what's that the uh uh, schweck i forget the the what some of the schweigert schweigert like if you know like if schweigert wanted to go fucking bitch to howard then howard could be like yeah i'm closer to the trauma than you are getting back in line so there's a lot of yeah i mean uh, honestly howard's really redeemed himself from the unwashed asshole days of season one he has and a lot of that came from knowing that Chuck was actually the monster behind the curtain. <laughs> right. And the fact that like, you know, H- Howard wasn't a golden boy that got everything given to him or if he was, he didn't necessarily want that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but he, he seems like a nicer guy than just about anybody a thoughtful else. In guy. This show. A thoughtful guy, a person yeah. that's, that's willing to work hard and be healthy. And I admire that. Yeah. All right. We go on to Jimmy at his PPD meeting. Uh, he tells the guy that he's on the straight and narrow and that the, Second, he gets his license back. He's going to be the best damn lawyer anyone's ever seen. Uh, this PPD, I looked it up. It's apparently like a pre-prosecution diversion, which means 
essentially instead of getting prosecuted for the crime you committed, mm-hmm. which in Jimmy's case was breaking and entering, uh, destroying destruction of property, that kind of stuff, uh, you're going to get a def- not not even a deferred sentence. It's it's more like we're just not going to mention this crime if you stay clean for a year. That kind of thing. And in, in fact, if you do, I think it's like the, the crime never happened. Right. And then I think th- there's still some stuff with the the bar association that he'll have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems like it was already dealt with because he got his license suspended. Yeah, yeah but I was a little confused because I thought that Chuck shitting the bed at the thing let Jimmy completely off the hook. But I guess... I, uh, Not entirely. It yeah, let him off the was... hook for the crime that he confessed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't let him off the hook for, like, the breaking and entering and the stuff that Howard, like, saw him mm-hmm. do, right? Right. But he, he confessed. I mean, like I said, we talked about this ad nauseum last year. But, like, I think that once you show that Chuck is crazy and that Jimmy has been his caretaker, that, like, I think a competent lawyer could have been like, well, this tape statement is bullshit. This is just him yeah. trying to tell anything to his crazy-ass brother That's to make him did. settle down. Yeah. Right. But it, apparently, like, I felt like that would be... 100%. Yeah, but anyway, whatever. It's last year. He's, yeah, he's so. got 12 months of some sort of probation, keep your nose clean type of thing. Um, yeah. And we also, this, 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 I think to both of our surprise, they revealed that two full months have passed since the very first episode of this season. Right. And I was like, honestly, that was a real shock to me. Um, because I feel like Kim would be out of her cast in two months. Isn't that how, about how long? Eight weeks. Yeah, it's maybe about how a, long. Maybe she takes. had a compound fracture. It was a little bit worse. Could be. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I that, that that surprised me, but it's in-universe. It's It's been two months. Yeah. Uh, I don't have much more to say about this final sequence here because I've said it already. Well, I just think that Bob Odenkirk, that last like five second take where they just just show his face after he made that statement and is, is something Mm -hmm. it, it's a really powerful, just, just uh, silent acting of the inner turmoil that Jimmy is going through right now. And, you know, giving this speech that like it's it's similar. It's very mirrored to Kim's statement to Paige where she's like, I completely understand. I totally apologize. And this will never happen again. Yeah. And Jimmy's like, I'm going to be a damn good lawyer. Uh, People are going to know about it. Yeah. Like that's like he kind of knows on some level that this isn't this is this isn't this isn't legit. This isn't this isn't going to be reality. Yeah. And as an audience, of course, we know that that's not who Jimmy's going to become. So it's it's kind of, yeah, I got a sad tone to it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's very doomed, a very doomed kind of thing. And that's it for the episode. Uh, before we get the feedback, uh, Jim, are you are you aware that our private conversations here in your basement are being monitored? Wait, by who? The, the by man, the IRS? By the man and the woman. Oh. Uh, and apparently there's thousands of them all over the world and, and listening to things we're talking about. Sounds like a cabal. It is. It's, it's very disturbing. Uh, and I've also uncovered there's a, there's, a, there's a way that some of them have enhanced their, their surveillance. They've, oh added, they've, added, they've added video feeds. Wait, Motherfuckers what? got cameras in your basement watching us talk at this very moment. 
Wow. And 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 if, if they if, if they want to get into this dastardly deeds, if they if they want to be part of the man men and women who are are the watchers and who are the listeners and who are the invasion and uh, frankly invaders of our privacy, uh, the place they want to go is club.baldmove.com where for a low monthly fee, they can step up their surveillance to unprecedented levels, getting all kinds of unseen footage, both audio and video and special features. They can't get anywhere else. It's, it's frankly disturbing, and I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, and I encourage no one to go to club.baldmove.com. We ready to do some feedback? Uh, you know we are. Uh, <laughs> Bettercastsaw at baldmove.com is where you send this, this here particular feedback. Of course, you can always discuss... Uh, each episode with your fellow fans on forums, uh, forum.baldmove.com, rather. Uh, Tiza from Chilltown is the first up. She says, an, I- an idea occurred to me while I was sautéing Brussels sprouts and drinking wine. That's what they do in Chilltown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, what they it, do all day, every that's day. That's the official dish of Chilltown. Yeah. And Breaking Bad. Like, it's like Matt Damon getting shrunk down and uh, <laughs> miniaturized me or whatever the hell that Downsizes, movie is. Downsizing? Downsizing, yeah. Did you ever, did you Just see Just Chilltown all the time. Yeah? Yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, in Breaking Bad Season 4, Episode Shotgun, Jesse and Mike are doing desert drops, and Jesse badgers Mike about his role and mentions him being the guy. Mike stops the car and blasts him. You are not the guy. You're not even capable of being the guy. I had a guy, and now I don't. You are not the guy. Naturally, <laughs> we've assumed that guy was Victor. But what if the guy was actually Nacho? The way Mike seemed insulted that Jesse would consider himself a replacement for such a capable, smart associate made me think that the former guy was someone Mike worked well with. In other words, always wears his back brace and nary a frayed strap in sight. Also, I feel like Mike is capable of doing those drops by himself anyway. Wasn't that ambush incident staged by Gus? Um, what's your What's your thoughts on this, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I suppose... Suppose Nacho could be that guy, but he hasn't really rounded into that guy yet, mm-hmm. right? Like, he knows Mike. He's done some stuff with Mike, but he's not the guy. Yeah. So we'd have to see some more building on that. And that's the thing, like, I I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss Victor. And now I guess I've done a bunch of fanboy fan, um, headcanon about Victor being former... Uh, like, you know, maybe he's an army ranger or something to get off the res, and he's like a much more formidable and capable guy than maybe we think, and that's largely based on... Uh, his jacket. His, well, yeah, his his army jacket <laughs> and just what a badass uh, uh, Jeremiah Bitsui makes this guy out to be. Like, he's just yeah. he's just a, he's just stone-cold, all-business serious guy, and a guy that Mike would feel uh, very comfortable with having his back. And I think Nacho's that, too, mm-hmm. but I think Nacho's got a ways to go before Mike would consider him a guy, because right. he's also cartel, and he's also, you know, like, like Mike's, Mike's an ex-cop. Like, that, that, that goes, you know, there's, there's multiple types of criminals. I don't think he thinks that there's very many cartel folk that are the good type of criminal. It's Gail. Gail is the guy. Gail is the guy. Yeah, yeah, he had the guy, and then he doesn't have the guy anymore. <laughs> Uh, all right, moving on to Sully from Boston. You discuss whether or not they'll dive deeply into Gus's backstory, but arguably they have to. The audience only knows Gus hates Hector because of the flashback scene we saw in Breaking Bad. And Better Call Saul on its own, as a precursor, the new non-Breaking Bad viewer has no idea why Gus is so focused on destroying Hector and the Salamancas on his own. So we need that backstory in Better Call Saul, or else it's not until season three of Breaking Bad that we fully understand Gus's motivation. Um, that's a damn fine meta point. Mm-hmm. However, 
it, it assumes this mythical non-Breaking Bad viewer. <laughs> Well, they're not mythical. They do exist. No, every time, no, no, you, every no. time you say I mean, that, they come in like, we're, there's dozens of us. There's I don't do- believe it. <laughs> um, but I think I think Vince from a, a storytelling would, would agree with that, except it's fine to have a villain of the mysterious past that you reveal later. Mm-hmm. And presumably you finish break, Better Call Saul, you're going to start Breaking Bad. Like the whole thing with the Salamancas comes to a head then. So that's when you get the flashback that answers all your questions. So I don't think you're wrong, Sully. You, let me but... ask you this. Do you think they necessarily have to leave the cartel stuff in Better Call Saul unsatisfying? Because we know it doesn't come to a head until Breaking Bad, right? So if you're talking about that self-contained series, won't it necessarily be an unsatisfying conclusion to that story? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a good that's a great point because i think that where we pick up the story in breaking bad tuco has just gotten out of jail he's developed a, a meth pro, he's developed a meth problem and he is the salamanca gang at this point because mm-hmm. hector uh is is in is across the border convalescing at a shitty house yeah so I mean, I, 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 I don't see how they make some kind of satisfying arc. I mean, to me, um, to me, the satisfying arc is is Nacho, and then the whole Gus thing just comes to a head in Breaking Bad, and that's that's fine. We don't need yeah. to know why he hates them and why he's subservient to them and why he's trying to take them down and why they have to die in a particular way. That stuff is all answered in, in season four and five of Breaking Bad, or no, season four of Breaking Bad. So. Yeah, I mean, I but but I also think that like um, that's certainly a note you would get from a studio exec. Uh, what the fuck? Absolutely. We have no idea this guy's motivation. Blah blah blah. But you know, <laughs> you can say the same thing about fucking Darth Vader in Star Wars. Uh huh. You know, like why is this guy such a mad dog supporter of the Emperor? Who the fuck is the Emperor anyway? Well, I got th- he- I got three movies for you. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. So I don't know. It's it's a good it's a good point, but I don't know if Vince would agree that new audiences would struggle to understand the character of Gus. Um, so, and say, say what you will about, you know, the, the mythical, non-mythical status of that better health all only watcher. Mm-hmm. They're very few. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, they're easily the uh, huge minority. Yeah. You're, you're like, even if it's 10%, which is way more than I think it is of the viewing audience, that's still a very small minority yeah. uh, compared to other, uh, everybody else. And then the other thing is you could say the same thing about the whole Pinochet stuff, right? Like, uh, they got to get around to answering that or else what that, 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 that casual mention of the stuff in Chile doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, yeah. it was just wallpaper for Gus's character, the interior, the interior scenery of Gus's character. That's I do, it. Th- I do think That's it's it. extremely interesting wallpaper, though. Oh yeah, wallpaper. If, I'd love to go to the factory where they're making it and, and check it all out. But. And, and if we go back to Gus's brutal suppression of communist days, I'm totally in for that. Yeah, I'm just saying that it's. I think. Some so, some agree some some degree of um, you know wishful thinking to think that they have to give us those answers right. Um, all right, Tom J has some thoughts on the Villa Gang's viewpoints on therapy. Uh, I am a licensed MFT, marital family therapist, counselor working at an addiction and psychosis facility in Georgia, and we get a lot of this type of personality that Vince seems to put into his protagonist. 
Many of my clients believe that they are above this process and that therapy is either a waste of time or money. And the industry referred to this as resistance. He quotes the definition of psychological resistance as the phenomenon often encountered in clinical practice in which patients either directly or indirectly exhibit paradoxical opposing behaviors and presumably a clinically initiated push and pull of a change process. Resistance can happen for a whole multitude of reasons, but more than anything else, it just comes down to the fact that working through and sitting in hard and uncomfortable emotions can suck. It's something we should all do and practice more regularly to maintain a healthy emotional life, but because it is uncomfortable and hard, many of us don't. The same way many of us don't go to the gym. Whoo! Hit, hitting where it hurts there, Tom. Yeah. The fuck? I didn't expect to be attacked in this group session. Uh, <laughs> you can see the fact that I don't go to the gym. My uh, emotions are my own. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see how fat G- Jim and I are, uh, sign up for the club, club.baldmove.com. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy and Mike are both dismissive towards therapy for similar reasons, because giving up control and or sitting in uncomfortable feelings like sadness are simply not natural and uncomfortable for them. Often with this type of personality, resistance presents itself as dismissive of therapy because giving up control, asking for health, or admitting weakness is so counterintuitive to their take-charge nature. And for group therapy, the emotion that's currently pr- plaguing them... Therapy is, in its nature, cannot be measured by achievement, which is difficult for doers, if you will. Long story short, this kind of personality is incredibly common in therapy, and as a watcher, I don't find it insulting towards therapy as much as I recognize it as a trait most individuals have when trying to be emotionally healthy for the first time. I do, however, agree that it's frustrating to not see the counselor's response because you live for moments like these. You want clients to blow up on you because then you and the group can process it, and there's a healing opportunity. A good therapist shouldn't be flustered by all these beautiful soliloquies about how shitty therapy is, but instead be psyched with, say, the lying man. I think it's an incredibly therapeutic moment for him could have been to confront why he's lying and address it. I bet he could really grow from being forgiven in that moment for lying and he could start exploring why he has this desire to fake real emotions in front of people. My guess is that he wants attention and desire to be seen, but isn't comfortable with his actual story or doesn't feel worthy of the empathy or sympathy that his real life generates. So it creates a fictional ones that get that mead met. Uh, as with Mike, I would think to want to address why he only comes in for his daughter-in-law and why he's so infuriated by liars in an otherwise emotional setting. Uh, he also disagrees with my take that Mike would not be welcomed back to the group. This is precisely the kind of emotional outpouring that gives the therapist in the group an opportunity to address the real emotions. Hmm. So, uh, I, I like this. I like this because it's a guy that's got some actual, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And, uh, he says I'm half wrong and half right. And that's, I always look, I, I like to at least be partially right. Um, <laughs> and then have room for growth. Sure. Yeah. No, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I think the gold standard is ironically season three of Rick and Morty where, you know, mm-hmm. Rick gives the classic therapy's bullshit and I'm too smart for it. Blah, blah, blah. And then therapist played by Susan Sarandon just rhetorically hands him his ass. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I wish there was a little bit more, a little bit more pushback. Um, I would challenge the Villa gang to let a therapist actually, and then Mike and Saul or whoever can still be dismissive of it, but like at least represent that, that viewpoint because they, it does the, the, all the therapy seems very passive and that's not ever been my experience with group or private counseling that, that a good, a good counselor will fucking challenge you and will not let you get away with these lazy dismissals of, of the process. Yeah. And I, I do wish that they would allow Jimmy to at least go to one session, right? So that we could have 
kind of the the insight from the other side and like howard is kind of a glimpse into that but if you don't a if you don't listen to the insider podcast you don't know that that's what they were going for or right actually it's not even the insider podcast it's there there's some clips on uh amc.com mm-hmm. where they do behind scenes interviews and one of the producers was talking about uh and the writer was talking about how howard is a representation of of positive grief right like mm-hmm. working through your grief in a healthy way jimmy is the opposite but you don't unless you know that you don't right. get that from the scene right whereas you could have jimmy go to his first therapy session say this is all fucking bullshit and it's not for me but have the therapist be able to at least show the audience what healthy recovery should look like right uh, even if jimmy rejects it Right. It'd be kind of like if they just reject a French guy and you never saw the German to see what the actual right thing. Yeah, you'd be questioning why Why did they Yeah, that's him? weird. They just dismissed the guy, huh? I guess, huh? Whatever. They have their reasons. Um, I had another idea as I was listening to you. What if they actually had a cold open of like five minutes of Howard's therapy session? Yeah, yeah. Where you can actually see the difficult work and the vulnerability and like what a good therapist would say. Like, like maybe... Uh, like after their blow up with Kim, he likes is reviewing that conversation and the therapist ex- I, I, something like that, something. But like, I just feel like I I don't think I've ever or hardly ever seen like effective therapy in any kind of fictional setting. The Sopranos, come on, that was, <laughs> was so effective, right? No, that was entirely a model client uh, therapist uh, relationship. But oh I, yeah, I, there's a little oh, bit yeah. I think in like the leftovers, maybe like pre-departure. Lori had uh, some Lori, moments, yeah. but it's few and far between. It's really sure. few and far between. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe we can start start doing more of that. I don't know. Um, Dan P. from Michigan. Yes, Michigan. I love to shoot that scene with the cousins, especially because it was shown from Hector, or not Hector. He says Hector. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to auto-correct you to Nacho. Nacho's viewpoint. We know that Nacho was trying to get out of the game before Gus got his hands on him. So is it possible that the one guy that, Hec- that sorry, Nacho shot at the motel was the first person that he'd ever killed? Perhaps I'm way off, but it's pretty interesting if, while trying to get away from the cartel, he has to commit his first murder and can never come back from that. Did you see Michael Mando's AMA on Reddit? R slash Better Call Saul. He actually, that that came up, and he said that he had talked it over with the script writer and the director, and he played that scene. It's not 100% canon established, but according to Michael Mando and the script writer and the director, they played that as if this is Nacho's first actual kill. Okay. Uh, Which is, is cool. It's cool. Um, I, I, I like that. So I think you're got, you're got, you got good company in your speculation there, Dan. Um, because now, you know, now, especially it, it, it adds another sadness to like, when is it over for you, Miho? Like, even if, even yeah. if Nacho survives this, like a guy who's a, basically a good guy from a good family, who's got pushed into this and now he's killed a guy like that's something, something that would <laughs> need a good therapist. Better call Howard. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Real, real bummer. Um, let's move on to Josh H. Uh, the movie Jimmy begins to watch in this episode is Dr. Shivago. In it, two potential lovers, Lara and Yuri, are separated in part by the Russian Civil War. However, they're later re- reunited in the city of Moscow. And better, or Breaking oh, no, Bad... This. Huh? Oh no, this. Okay, keep going. And be- Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, perhaps Kim and Jimmy are separated in part... 
uh, by the events of Breaking Bad, which involves a civil war of sorts. Potentially, they'll be reunited in a part of the country, Nebraska, with a climate not unlike the climate in Moscow. Yeah. Is this more or less plausible than Dead Man's Brew? Uh, definitely Ooh. less. Less Ooh. so. So why, what, I, I, what, what's your disgust at this theory? <laughs> it's, what the it's fuck? It's the comparison of Moscow and Nebraska. Like, oh, they're both cold places. Why not Moscow, Moscow Mule, New Mexico well, Mule? Why not compare this? Vince to, is doing it himself. Compare this to Alaska where Jesse ends up. You know, it's cold up there. Why the fuck not? It's because his lover got shot in season five. The, Did you even watch yeah, Breaking Bad? But, Jesus the, but there was a civil war. and Maybe he comes back with Skinny Pete. We don't know. <laughs> We don't know, but it's cold up there. So fucking Alaska equals Moscow. I, <laughs> come on, man. Come on. Dead Man's Brew was a solid fucking theory. Yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah. Str- strong words from Jim Jones. Uh, Mar- Maria S. from Oop State, New York. Uh, I think it's pretty cool that Kim's doing criminal lawyer work and not telling Jimmy. Do you think this will have an effect later on where the more dangerous criminals want Kim to re- represent them and it turns ugly from there? I I don't I don't know why, but I don't think Kim is really going to cross that line into that world. Yeah, and like putting my you know as someone who's watched a lot of crime shit, uh, it does seem like it's a bad idea to fuck with lawyers, cops, judges, prosecutors, because they're they're like on the teeth end of the system. And, and that's why plenty- Jimmy, when those kids walk up to him, says, "Oh, I'm a narc." Remember? Right. Right. Uh, but they don't believe he's a narc now because he's right. actually making a shit ton of money and there's nobody pull, pull it up whoop whoop when they when he does it. Um, right. I think that there's enough crooked like you don't go to try to bend the cop. You find the ones that are bent already and you do business with them. Yeah. Like so what would happen was Kim would have to voluntarily do something illegal or unethical and then get a reputation for it. Just like the vet. The, the whole reason the vet, the vet got pulled into cartel work is he's already he's a shady vet. My fucking my fucking vet that takes care of my cat, I would suspect would never get pulled into a cartel shoot him up situation. Yeah, because how the fuck would he? You know, so like if Kim does that, it's because she has taken a step towards the Saul side, which is entirely possible. But I don't think that just... I think her steps are more innocuous than yeah. Jimmy's, though. Like Jimmy yeah. goes into the heart of the underworld here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> be be what it is in Mexico. I I don't I don't see Kim as ever getting involved with the crowds that could ever put her in contact with the cartel. Right. But I don't know. I and mean, it, she will run into criminals and potentially cartel members yeah. in her profession. But like cartels forcing you to work for them is more of like a banana republic thing. It's like mm, yeah. Pablo Escobar. Like if you're in a country where they run the shit and they can say like, "You take my silver, you take my lead." Then a person like Kim might be in trouble, but mm-hmm. in a mostly functional rule of law society such as ours, like it's that's a that's a much that's a much less smart play for the criminal. Yeah, because a clean a lawyer could just be like, "Yo, this dude just fucking threatened me," and I've got the tape recordings to prove and, it, and that's and, a fucking yeah. crime. And I'm a fucking officer of the court. You're fucking done for now, buddy. And that's going to piss off the prosecutor is going to piss off the cops your mm-hmm. gang's going to get a lot more attention to it like yeah don't you don't want to be the the nail sticking up uh you don't be the highest nail sticking out of the board you know yeah um james v in response to your assumption that kim has not yet tried therapy how do we know that she hasn't when she hands jimmy the phone number of in the prior episode she gave him the old oh a friend gave him this number really <laughs> a friend kim uh-huh. That statement screamed to me that Kim is already seeing this particular therapist. I guess we don't really know one way or another, but we shouldn't leap to the conclusion that she's not in therapy 
Maybe that's what caused her to redirect her career. Maybe a therapist told her to recenter. Um, I mean, you're right. It's not fair to say she hasn't, but I think it's more fair to say that than that she definitely has and start spinning off character motivation oh, yeah, because I of it. I guess I he's right. We shouldn't assume either way. Right. But it's, you know... Uh, there again, it'd be another opportunity to show uh, a healthy, positive relation, uh, a client uh, therapist relationship, and and they're not they're not doing it. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I I I guess I'll partially back away from that statement until it's proven or disproven. Uh, but uh, there we go. That is our feedback for this week's Better Call Saul. Uh, we are halfway through the season already, Jim. Yeah, that's it just, true. It just started. Last month, literally, uh-huh. uh, an hour halfway halfway done. Uh, we there's so much stuff that they set up here with the super lab, with Jimmy's career, with Kim's career, with the uh, with with Mike and Gus and Nacho. Um, man, five hours left to resolve it all. You think they're going to pull it off? Uh, yeah. I mean, the the <laughs> it'd season... be hilarious if you say no way. This uh, is gonna... no, definitely not. It's gonna it's gonna crash and burn. This season is gonna be a trash. No, yeah. Uh, I think. They have brought home every season so far uh-huh. in spectacular fashion, and it's always with that emotional punch. And I think yeah. whatever happens, we're going to have some kind of emotional punch at the end of this episode. It could come from a lot of different places right now, right? Right? It could come from Jimmy or Kim or maybe Nacho. I th- I'm worried about Nacho this sure. season, honestly. Yep. Uh, Nacho's father yep. could potentially get it. I. I just know they're gonna they're gonna hit us over the head with an emotional sledgehammer, uh, and I'm ready for it. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, last season I had kind of you know in the first half of the season kind of whined a bit about the pacing, but then the last half of that season was amazing, and the finale right. <laughs> shut me the fuck up. Yeah. So and yeah. nobody saw that coming except for me <laughs> before the series before even the started. series even began. Right. So, yeah, Uh, we'll be back next week for the next episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later.